Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave, that's me. This is a show about building creative and rewarding careers in and around the world of drinks. My guest on this episode is Julie Reiner. You may know her from any one of the New York bars she's opened since 2003. There was Flatiron Lounge, Pegu Club, Glover Club, and most recently, Miladies. She's written cocktail books, judged cocktail comps around the world, and won numerous accolades for her bars and herself. Perhaps you've just come into the bar world though, and maybe you know her from TV. The Netflix show Drink Masters, on which she's one of the stars, debuted in October last year to much success. It's a competitive bartending show, kind of like MasterChef for bars, and it's really the first of its kind. Drink Masters is a new thing, and when it came out, there seemed to be two takes on it. One was that it was all molecular and foams and airs and smoke and mirrors, and that it wasn't real bartending, and therefore the show wasn't great. But the other take, and this is where I kind of lean to, is that it was great to see bartending getting this kind of exposure in the mind of the general public. For what it's worth, I've been watching it recently and I think it's a net positive. I mean, as I say to Julie in this chat, it's very American in tone, but I do think it's pretty genuine and I'd really like to see more of it. So I talked to Julie about the show, of course, and what that experience was like behind the scenes, but I also talked to her about how she makes decisions on which opportunities she pursues, about the qualities that she has that have set her up for this remarkable career, what it takes to open a bar now as opposed to 10 and 20 years ago, what makes a great bar, and loads more. But before we get into the chat, I'd just like to remind you that you can sign up for the Boothby newsletter at boothby.com.au. I send three emails a week straight to your inbox without having to rely on the big tech algorithms, so that means you actually get to see them. Okay, so let's get into it now. Here's my talk with Julie Reiner. Julie Reiner, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Hi there. Thanks for having me. <laughs> when you first got into bartending, did you ever conceive of it giving you a career like it has? Because you've done quite a few things now. You've opened a number of bars. You're an author, consultant, uh, TV star now. Uh, <laughs> did you have this in mind when you got started? I mean, no. I, I mean, at, <laughs> at the time, I, um, I you know, I, I recently looked at my high school yearbook, which, which the first job I ever had in a bar was... My, 1990, uh, when I was in high school and I was cocktail waitressing in Waikiki. And I wrote, we had to write this thing that was like, you know, where do you see yourself in 20 years? And I, and I wrote in my yearbook, which I need to post this at some point, because <laughs> I was like, this is pretty crazy. I wrote, uh, I see myself living in a big city doing a job that's more of a hobby than a job. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of what I ended up doing, you know? Um, I, I just fell in love with the bar business and hospitality and the excitement of it, uh, at, you know, when I was 18 and I kind of never really looked back. I tried to do something else for like a minute and then I was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> what was the thing you tried to do for, for a minute? Well, I graduated from college uh, with a degree in communications and I was, I got a job doing marketing and I was, and I was sitting at a desk uh, and I had been bartending all through college, uh, yeah. and I moved to San Francisco and I was just like, this sucks. You know? <laughs> this desk <laughs> stuff is really not fun. Nine to yeah. five. Um, and so I, I immediately, you know, left that job and within less, it was like a, less than a year and went back into the bar world. How, how much of a, of your career, uh, cause it's, it's been quite, you know, you're there at the start of the, the cocktail renaissance. How much of your career is sort of recognizing the the times that you're in and being able to take advantage of opportunities. 
I mean, I think some of that, some of my career really was like right place, right time, right idea. You know, Mm. Um, when I moved to New York in the 90s, uh, I I had been using fresh ingredients when I was in San Francisco. And so I just kind of started I started managing a bar and I was just like, oh, I should make my own infusions and use fresh juices and make my own syrups. And I started talking to the chef and the pastry chef about flavor combinations um, because I really just wanted to give people the best thing I could in a glass. Uh, and then, you know, I found, then the next thing I knew, Dale DeGroff walked in and was just like, Hey kid, <laughs> what are you doing? I, I hear you're making some cool drinks in here. Um, you know, and I didn't know who he was. I was just like, who are you? And you know, yeah. Want to try one? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was, you know, and it was at a time in New York city where, you know, it was like San Francisco was actually very ahead of San Fran- of New York at that time. Uh, yeah. San Francisco in the nineties in the mid to late nineties, people were using fresh juice and looking at classic cocktail recipes and stuff. And I got to New York and New York was very much still like sour mix on the gun and chefs not really chefs not wanting to be friendly with the bartenders and being like, (laughs) I'm the star here, you know? Um, And, and so when I started taking a more culinary approach to cocktails in New York, uh, it was just the right thing to do at that time because nobody was really doing it or very few people were doing it. And so I quickly mm. met those people, Sasha, Audrey, Dale, Eben Clem. You know, there were like a handful of us. And you've been responsible for some of the, you know, you know, bars that we know of over here in Australia, right? Some very uh, influential bars, uh, Flatiron Lounge in 2003, Pegu Club, Clover mm. Club. You know, yes. and lately Leander and, and the most latest one is Milady's. But I want to talk just right. Clover Club real quickly. That's 15 years old this year, right? Yeah. It's, so in a time when the, the culture around us is changing so fast these days, what do you think has been the key to that bar's longevity? It's a neighborhood joint, you know, uh, while yeah. while it's like uh, you know, world renowned cocktail bar, you know, it's just, it's also like, it's a comfortable space. You know, New Yorkers like to get out of their apartments, you know, people live in small spaces. Um, Mm. and it, you know, it's a, it's a space that just feels great. It's got a very classic vibe. Uh, the bar was built in 1897, so it's got a historical sort of a vibe and feel to it. It's beautiful. Um, Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and the food is great and the cocktails are great. And, the bartenders are, you know, it's always a, um, it's very welcoming and, you know, we're sort of like, we're, we don't take ourselves too, too seriously. I'm just like, you know, if somebody wants a vodka soda, you give them a vodka soda and you don't give them shit, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's the kind of place that you can come back to a few times a week, you know, and we see the right. same faces in there. Um, and the neighborhood is growing so much that, you know, it's interesting to me after 15 years that there's people who are just now discovering us, you know, um, and so we're new to them. Uh, yeah. But it, it's just, I, I am a firm believer that spaces have have a soul and a vibe uh and that clover club space just is one of those spots that feels great you know yeah well 15 years is a pretty good run and i I guess it doesn't show any signs of slowing down no we had record we had a record december month you know i mean uh, (laughs) it's uh it's been so busy in there and uh i couldn't be happier uh we have an incredible staff so that's you know, your bar- bars are only as good as the people who, who work in them and, and run them. So it's so it's been 20 years, I guess, since you opened Flatiron Lounge. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I had to, I, I got to go there in 2010 and it was my first 
because we have responsible service of alcohol laws here in Australia, it was my first taste of a proper New York martini and the size of one, and it kind of blew my doors <laughs> off. It was great. Um, <laughs> but what was the experience like opening that place in that time um, compared to almost 20 years later doing Milady's now in Manhattan? Yeah, well, um, you know, Flatiron Lounge was one of the very first sort of craft cocktail bars in New York City, Um, at least one of the first that you could actually just walk into. You know, it's like Milk and Honey was open at that time, but I I didn't even know where it was or, you know, like around the time that I opened Flatiron Lounge. Um, But, you know, I realized with that first place that I had managed C3 that New Yorkers wanted the best of everything and they were willing to travel for it. And that this was kind of an untapped market, um, in a Mm. city that everything has been done, you know? Um, so I started working on getting this place open, partnered with some people who knew the aspects of the business that I didn't know, um, at, you know, real estate, all of that, the build out construction, design um and you know we got it open uh you know it was a it was a great experience i learned a lot you know i learned a lot about partnerships that are difficult (laughs) um uh but ultimately you know it really launched my career and and Mm. um and taught me a lot how how was it opening this one last year miladies like because the world that we're in now is it's a it's like a you know social media is a thing now is. Yes, it's a, How, it's a totally change? talk about a different uh, different world. So uh, so when I opened Flatiron Lounge, I stood out front with my phone and like you know and like caught not even a cell. I didn't even have a cell phone then. I st- I was like I called <laughs> the the writers the two writers at the New York Times who had written about me at C three and said, Hey, I'm opening my own bar. I thought you might like to write about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. there was no I didn't. There was no PR. You know, there was yeah. no internet really. Uh, you know, there was no social media. So I called these people and they all wrote about it. And Time Out New York and Dale had his little four one one magazine and he wrote about it. And then yeah. everybody was nice and took turns and did their articles and and then we opened the doors and it was full you know it's like yeah whereas, you know yeah sounds pretty I mean, simple even, yeah it, it kind of was simple and really nice you know and then yeah. by the time you know by the time we opened clover club you know i was trying to do it myself then i was like oh shit i realized very quickly that i needed to hire somebody to help you know with all of these inquiries because i couldn't actually do the opening stuff I needed to do and handle that. Um, right. And yeah, and so yeah, and then once once after that, it was like, Leanda, Miladies, we hire P- a really good PR firm. You know, I use Rachel Harrison PR and um, they're amazing and they help us to get the narrative out and tell people um, what we're doing and, you know, it, it takes something off of my plate. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a pretty smooth opening uh, as far as they, they go. I wasn't looking to open anything else. Um, but that space, the Milady's space, uh, kind of fell in my lap. Um, and then the money to do it fell in my lap. And I was like, all right, I guess we're opening this bar. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting to me that maybe, uh, how people are going to get to know you now or become younger bartenders might first become acquainted with you now is not so much through the bars, but through the Netflix show drink masters. Now, how is that different for you? How's that changed? What, how did that role come about? You know, it's so funny because in my pre COVID life, had they reached out to me, I would have been like, no fucking way. Get out of here. And I, <laughs> I, I would have said no. Um, right. 
you know, but they reached out and I was sitting at a table at the front of Clover Club selling people drinks in a plastic cup, you know, and I was like, oh, well, we might not actually have a business since people can't stand <laughs> next to each other. So mm, I guess yeah. I should say at least say yes to the conversations, you know. Yeah. Um, so I so I said yes to the conversation and then I started back and forth talking with them and it was all via Zoom. So I was in the comfort of my own bar. I would Zoom with them in the back room of Clover Club by the fireplace um, yeah. and was just doing this whole back and forth. Uh, and I kind of, you know, the whole time I was talking to them, I was, I really didn't think that they would ever pick me for that. And I didn't know right. that I wanted, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it anyway, you know? Um, so what, what was, were your reservations about doing it? What, why, well, why did mean, you maybe not want to? Reality TV, you never know. <laughs> how you're going to be portrayed. You never know how they're yeah. going to treat the competitors. You know, I, so there was a lot of uncertainty and it was the first time, you know, that they were doing something like this. So I had a lot of questions, you know, it's like, who's, <laughs> who, are, who are the bartenders? How are you finding these people? Who's going to be overseeing mm. the drinks? You know, um, the logistics of how this whole thing would work. Um, those were a lot of my reservations. And then just like, you know, being on TV, do I want that? You know, yeah, okay. <laughs> do I want right. to potentially walk down the street and have people be like, drink masters, you know, um, but that's the mean judge. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. I was not the mean judge. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I've had a few people say that, yeah. but I, th I feel like we were pretty equally mean at times, but honest, yeah. you know, I mean, I am. I am always brutally honest. I say what I think. Uh, I'm that way with my staff um, at the bars, uh, you know, which people always know where where they stand, you know. Mm. Um, and I think ultimately for drink masters, that's what they were, they were looking for. You know, I'm never going to yeah. sugarcoat something. Um, and you might not agree, but this is my opinion and I'm not afraid yeah. to say it. <laughs> I've been watching it, I think about six episodes or so in. And I've got to yeah. admit, like when I was, before I watched it, I was like, oh, come on, really? And, yeah, it, and, yeah. and this isn't meant to be disrespectful or anything, but there's very much American touches to this thing, which is from Australia, like, oh, okay, there's a lot of America going on here. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. But, yeah. but it's really it's really quite good. And I thought the way that the, the bartenders are treated is pretty fair. I like that there is no sort of bullshit you're not saying things that obviously Julie Reiner doesn't believe, which is nice to see. Yeah, say. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, and I was a part of, you know, it's like the, you know, the the part, the writing of, of some of the stuff. If there was, if yeah. there were things that they wanted me to talk about, I, I like, I had a part in that. I was like, no, I don't believe that. This is what it yeah. should be. And, you know, they really um, were great about letting Frankie and Tone and I give our opinion on, on all of this. Um, and we yeah. also, you know, we shot it during COVID. So there was a lot that we couldn't actually do. We were originally going to have more guest judges and yeah. more, group, more groups in there, but then Omicron hit like, in the middle of filming it yeah um so you know some of the comments that i've gotten been like, oh it would be great if you could do a hospitality challenge or a batching thing or a speed thing and i'm like yes we want to yeah. do all of those things um <laughs> but alas we could not do them uh because of the timing of of filming the show but we're hoping uh that we can do a season two and really yeah. do. i mean the cool thing is that that just opens the door for so many other things that we, we would be able to do um mm. in a second 
season. And I have, you know, yes, it was all North American bartenders. It would be great to get bartenders from all over the world in there. Uh, And I certainly have had a lot of people reach out to me on Instagram asking, you know, how can I apply? And, you know, everywhere. Um, (laughs) But not yet. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I do hope they do a a, a second season on it because it's been quite good. But it's also the kind of first show of its kind for the the bar world. You've got all these Mm -hmm. cooking. There's like a million cooking shows. But why, why do you think that is that it's been the first one for the bar world? Well, I can tell you, I think I do know why, Uh, you know, I had pitched a show idea like this. I mean, so in the early Flatiron Lounge days to food food to the Food Network, you know, I was a I was a I pitched a bunch of ideas to them. But the Food Network here in the U.S. is like their bread and butter is middle America and alcohol is the devil, you know. So anything having to do with booze, they were like, no way, because, you know, it's like the dessert show and the diners, drive ins and dives like that. Those are the number one shows on the Food Network. Um, And so anything alcohol related was just a flat out no. Um, yeah. But then I was like, because I was like, how about Iron Chef Mixology? You know, where you have two bartenders going head to head and they ended yeah. up doing, they did it, but they did it with a chef. So, and I ended up being a judge on that episode that they ended up shooting because right. I pitched it to them, um, but they wouldn't do it without a food component, you know? And I think that that right. was very much across the board, Um what it was. So it, it took, it took a Netflix that doesn't care about, you know, that it's, that's people are paying for Netflix. So it doesn't matter the yeah. viewership, you know, uh, it's not, well, they don't have to sell TV. car commercials against uh, alcohol advertising, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so for that reason, and then with Netflix, you know, once they got their hands on molecular mixology, I think that that was when oh. they were like, Oh, because watching somebody build a daiquiri or a martini is not very yeah. visually exciting, you know, but yeah. somebody doing something with dry ice or distilling something or making per caviar pearls and all this molecular stuff, you know, yeah. is, is cool on TV, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that was really, that's what Frankie does in his bar, um, you know, bar chef. Yeah. Um, you know, it is really more like drink art, you know, and I'm sort of like the anti that, which is also why they picked me because <laughs> I was like, don't give well, me yeah. your stupid caviar pearls. You know? <laughs> Can you make a drink that's balanced, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I yeah. just make me a great drink and tell me a story. You know, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, can you tell us a bit about the experience filming the show and how that differs to kind of what we see on screen? Because I mean, I guess it takes a while for them to set up and film each person as they're presenting you the drink. Are you tasting those drinks warm or they're cold or? No. Yeah. So, so it was, we had to figure it out. I mean, that first episode was really, was tough because there were so many competitors and as we dwindled it down, it became easier. Um, But you know what, they, they all had a specific amount of time to make their drink you know, yeah. uh, at, at which, you know, we would be standing there talking. Mean, I, we were talking for like the entire, like 90 or 90 minutes or two hours right. you know, about what they're you, doing. You don't, and you don't disappear you know. somewhere, but no, no, we, we, you know, and they really, they only show, they show some of that, you know, of us walking through the kitchen and, you know, but we mm. would be standing there talking for like two hours. And then, you know, you see like two sentences of what we had to say, and, <laughs> right. you know, it was, um, uh, but what, so when they said, you know, time's up, you know, they would all have to stop. And then of course, right. 
one of them we would then cut for lunch, you know, and then come back and one gotcha. by one they would get to present. But, you know, all of their stuff had to be done. So they would be able to chill their drink properly to present it to the judges, um, mm. it, which was a kind of a learning curve because a lot of these food shows, they're eating yeah. cold food. You know, it's yeah. like the food shows and a lot of the people that worked on the show also work have worked on food shows were saying that it was much harder because drinks die quick you know that's it right well it's, uh, temperature yeah. is just such a crucial component component of a drink yeah the visual texture temperature all of that you know it was it was more it was much more difficult to figure out did you have a did you have a favorite competitor <laughs> well <laughs> on, they were all really great um I, I can't say that I had I had a favorite. I, I had favorite drinks, you know. I mean, the the top four were just they they were incredible. I mean, the the amount of stress that they endured, you know, um, yeah, was pretty amazing. Um, but you know, I love it. Suzu is is just so fun. I love Suzu. He had more airtime than anybody else on the whole yeah. show because yeah. he would get he would be in like the bottom three, you know, and yeah. then he would fight for his life and then he would get he'd be back, you know. So yeah. of, on the whole show, like he he really had the most airtime. Um, yeah. But I mean, they were all they were all great. Uh, Kate was fun. LP was great. Tao was Tao is like an artist. Like his some of his drinks were so creative and interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, so they they were all they were all really really great people and and fun. And they they did so you, they did a great job. It couldn't have been. It wasn't easy. I was just like, oh my god, none of that existed oh no. when I started bartending. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't think it really approaches the. Um, the cocktail competition circuit, like, I mean, you've judged cocktail comps, plenty yeah. of them, right? But uh, it's a little bit of a different experience. Uh, yeah. As I mentioned before, you you are, you know, an author, a consultant. You've got a line of ready-to-drink cocktails now yeah. um, called Social Hour Cocktails. Owner of an open multiple bars. Uh, you're a mentor to many people. <laughs> you're a TV show. You do spirits judging. What else is in the world of drinks and bars for Julie Reiner is there to do that you would like to do? Gosh, um, I, you know what? I want I want to open a little bar on the beach that has like four seats. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream, right? Yeah. Well, I'm from yeah. Hawaii, so my goal is to spend part of the year in Hawaii and part of the year here in New York. Um, you know, yeah, that would be fun. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like you know I've done a lot of things. You know, I so many of them. I you know I. I I fly by the seat of my pants. I haven't planned a lot of these things. They just kind of right. happen. And, you know, as they are, present themselves, uh, we decide whether it's a good idea or not. Um, uh, but I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm for sure a risk taker and, you know, I'm not afraid to, to bet on myself and my team. So it's kind of just like whatever, whatever comes our way. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. you know, we may, we may be doing some more things in, in Brooklyn, uh, in the near future. Um, yeah. but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, what, what advice, or actually can, going back to that, how do you decide which projects to take on and which ones you don't? Do you have like a sort of decision-making matrix? What are the, what are the th principles that guide you in that kind of decision? 
Well, you know, I mean, so it's it, Susan and Christine and myself uh, are sort of the, you know, the power trio um, that are partners in all of our things. Um, yeah. And, you know, we we talk through ideas. We talk to our lawyer about that. We just recently had something we we're like, there's too many rules with that. And we can't, you know, it doesn't make sense anymore because we can't do what we want to do because mm. of the law, liquor laws and things in, you know, in New York. Um, so sometimes it's the legal things that decide for you. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, I mean, we've looked at spaces together and been like, ah, I don't know, it, you know, so it's, it's really a collective, we do, we get all of the data and all of the research that we can before we decide to pull uh, the trigger on something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for younger bartenders, uh, who are really keen on, on this industry and, um, you know, love the bar world, but are looking at how they can plan a career or how they can might build a career that's sustainable over time. Um, what advice would you give them these days? How, what would you suggest that they do to prepare themselves? Yeah. I mean, for so many bartenders, you know, being behind the stick has its limits, you know, you, it, it hurts a lot more as time goes on. Mm. So, you know, I think, as a young bartender sort of looking into the future and thinking about where, you know, if you do want a career in the drinks industry, uh, you know, what other aspects of it are you interested in? You know, um, learning about business, learning about costing, learning about spirits, you know, as much education as you can get. I, you know, I really try to, um, do we we have educational seminars that we give to the staff our, our bartenders servers all of them you know um just to try to help people with what's next you know my goal is always to have i don't like to have bartenders leave our bars to work at other bars i like them to leave because they're moving into their next aspect yeah. of their career you know um, right. that's always the goal but yeah i mean you know be a sponge <laughs> <laughs> and don't you, wait and you also, know don't wait too long yeah well how do you mean not don't wait too long just well i mean i've had people who you know gets they they really just come in they work their shift they go home they you know watch tv or play video games and then that's all they're you know and then they have an injured shoulder and they're like oh what am i gonna do now you know uh right. you know uh, or their knees are bad or we, the things that bartenders in their forties go through, you know, um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It just hurts more as you get older. Uh, so, you know, uh, just looking out to the future. Yeah. What, what are the, what are the character traits about yourself that you think you've had since, you know, from those early days in Hawaii to, to now that have sort of enabled you to, to, to do what you've done and, and put you on this mm -hmm. career path? Um, well, I love a good party. <laughs> you know, first That's a prerequisite, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love orchestrating a good time. So, and, you know, I knew that about myself very early on. Um, my parents used to throw a lot of parties in Hawaii and I was always passing hors d'oeuvres and helping my yeah. mom blend up margaritas with mangoes and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, you know, so at a very young age, I knew that I really loved hospitality. Um, I'm also not somebody who, uh, I think alcohol not being a an addictive thing for me is, is big because I know a lot of people who mm. have had a lot of issues with it in our industry. And I'm, I love a cocktail. I love to have drinks, um, but I very much can 
not have drinks and be fine, yeah. you know? Um, and mm. I think that I've, I think that is something that the people I know who are most successful in this business um, are able to maintain that balance in life. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I have a good balance, balanced home life and, you know, a kid and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know lots of things going on. Um, um, but also, you know, at the same time, you know, I've, I have the most incredible team of people who work with me, you know? So right. while I am the one sitting here talking to you about all of this, you know, Susan and Christine are, you know, doing bank wrecks and all of the stuff that I don't even, I'm, I'm, I don't even really understand. And I'm just like, great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we're in good shape, you know? um, yeah. but it's just about, you know, it's like having, having the right team of people is everything. Um, you know, right. and that that has been probably the biggest lesson over the years is is getting to that point where you have the right partners um, and you have people working you work with who have different skill sets um, mm -hmm. and you all have a level of trust and organization. Then um, and, and that's we're there, which is nice. Yeah. How do you find the right people? What is it? What do you look for in, in someone that? What should people look for in those kind of people around you in a in a business or? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, honestly, most of my team are um, other than, you know, so my wife and I have opened all of the bars together. We met in San Francisco and then, yeah. you know, we opened Flatiron Lounge, like all of the bars, it's been she and I. Um, and then all of the other partners that we have are people we hired in other aspects of the business. So um, Christine Williams, we hired as a general manager at Clover Club. Um, wow. And then we bought out our original partner, Christine and Susan and I. Um, uh, so, you know, and she's amazing. She's the best. She was the best operations GM I had ever worked with. So, you know, we we're like, yeah. yes, <laughs> this is somebody, <laughs> you know, that we need, we need to, to be our partner. You. Yes. Yeah. You know, she's incredible um, at what she does um, and just has such a great uh, eye for talent and and management and what need what should what we need to say yes and no to um, yeah. and then with social hour so tom macy who started with us as a barback became a bartender became a head bartender and then he bought in also and became a partner when we bought this partner out um he is our partner in social hour cocktails that was his pet passion project um, mm. and, you know, and then Ivy mix, she was a bartender with me at Lonnie Kai and at Clover club. And then when Leanda came about, you know, it's across the street from Clover. So we were like, we need to, if we're going to take this space, it needs to be something that is the polar opposite of what we do at Clover. Yeah. Um, and at the yeah. time she was interested in doing something on her own, but was having a tough time. Um, and I know how passionate she is about agave spirits. And we were like, Hey, yeah. do you, are you interested in doing something with us across the street? Um, so it's all been very organic, the people that we've brought into our fold, but they're always people that we've worked with it for a long time in other capacity. We know who they are, you know, yeah, there's okay. no, there's no surprise, you know, my, my issues with previous partnerships have been people that I didn't work with long enough to really see who they are. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you that's know? good advice. That's good yeah. advice. Okay, last question for you, Julie. Um, when you when you walk into a bar, what are the things that uh, that you look for in a great bar? But I guess, but also, what are the things that make you happy in a bar? The people. It's the, 
I mean, honestly, you can have a gorgeous yeah. bar with the best food and the best drinks and the best decor and the amazing music and lighting, and you have a bunch of assholes working there, and the bar <laughs> sucks. So, yeah. you know, great bars. I, I, you walk in, and there's somebody at the door welcoming you, who, you know, and then you get to the bar, and there's bartenders who are just give you a great show you know i i mean that's it's it's all about vibe uh for me and which you know is why i'm always i always try to hire you know that's been a skill set that i think over the years i've really gotten very good at it's just hiring the right people to represent you because you can't do it all yourself right um so you know there are you know secondary always is going to be yes great location, decor, all of that stuff. But it's bars are about people. Wonderful. Um, well, I hope that maybe you wanted to do the next season at Drink Masters down in Australia. It'd be great to do it down here. Uh, <laughs> I'm dying to get to Australia. <laughs> I was supposed to come to Australia in 2020 to judge world class. And then it didn't happen. It didn't and happen. then it happened. And then I somehow missed my invitation to come back. So ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have not been, um, but I one day I will, I will well, get over there. I hope to get you down here soon. Uh, thank you very much for talking to me. This has been great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on, Sam. Thanks to Julie again for the talk. And thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please share them with a friend. It really does help to get the word out. You can also give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get yours. I really do appreciate your support. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.